everyone. Welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Ann, and with me is my co-host, Justin Corbett. And for those of you who don't know, I'm the owner and editor-in-chief of HorrorGeekLife.com. It's a site that covers all things horror, geek, and gaming. And I'm a writer at HorrorGeekLife.com, as well as a contributing editor. Okay, so let's get into a few things that we covered over the last week on HorrorGeekLife.com. Starting out, we had a really, really exciting week, a big week, uh, probably our biggest week as far as Getting an exclusive, very exciting. Um, but Justin, you were able to go to a horror festival and interview Adam Marcus, which is the director of many films, including Jason Goes to Hell and a new holiday horror film called Secret Santa, which we'll talk about in a minute. But tell us a little bit about your conversation with Adam Marcus in regards to Jason Goes to Hell. Uh, well, Adam was a great guy. We had a lot of fun talking about Friday the 13th. And uh, one of the questions that we'd spoken about on the episode where we had Randy on was whether or not Jason is a deadite and whether or not Adam Marcus considers Jason goes to hell to be canon for the Friday the 13th universe. And, uh, the answer to both of those questions from Adam's mouth is yes. Uh, Jason is a deadite in his mind and Friday the 13th, uh, Jason goes to hell absolutely is canon. And, uh, we put it out there as an exclusive as part of our interview and it, sort of went viral. It's been kind of hectic and crazy. Yeah, because, you know, it's really no secret to anyone who's ever read Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that Jason is a deadite in the comic series. And they're a very cool comic series. However, Adam Marcus has never really come out and said, yes, he is a deadite in the film series. He is a deadite. And, you know, it's canon. A lot of people took issue. <laughs> Well, he said he couldn't before because of of disagreements with New Line, because New Line actually doesn't own the Evil Dead property. But now, since uh, I guess his contract with them is up, or they've already finished all of the special features they're ever going to do for Jason Goes to Hell, or whatever it is, now he feels comfortable saying that. Right, because before, he always said, well, the Necronomicon, which is from Evil Dead, can be found in the Voorhees basement. And he's always said, well, that's just a really cool Easter egg that I got from Sam Raimi. He let me borrow it, and I put it in the basement. It was just really fun. But of course, to you, he says, oh, no, it's there on purpose. And I wanted people to catch on that he is a Deadite. And so I focus on the Necronomicon for quite a while so that people would actually kind of let it sink in of what they're looking at. And he was also saying that the reason that he went that way is he didn't like that he had so many questions about how Jason kept coming back and what happened after the first film. And so he wanted to kind of expand on that legacy. We put it out there and people, some people were really cool with the story and said, oh my God, that answers so many questions I've always had. This actually makes a lot of sense. It's a really cool mashup between two horror franchises. And then other people are like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not canon. This He is not a deadite. None of this makes sense. That's putting it nicely from things that we've read <laughs> over oh, the yeah. last week. Definitely. Um, There's been a lot of hatred for this. <laughs> that it was a really fun story. And as a big fan of the comic series, I'm really glad that he kind of said this, even though it doesn't work out in the film series, it is an explanation on how he keeps coming back and back and back and back and back. And mm-hmm. he's so evil. It makes perfect sense to me. And then, of course, he went in to say, yes, it's canon. And that's, oh, Lord. <laughs> that was a whole other issue because, you know, Jason Goes to Hell usually isn't everyone's favorite film within the series. So... It just had mixed reactions. Okay, so the other film that you talked to Adam Marcus about was Secret Santa, which is a holiday horror comedy film that he has coming up. 
Uh, I reviewed this film for Horror Geeklave as well, and I gave it a four and a half out of five. It's a nearly perfect holiday slasher film. One of my favorite holiday-themed horror films I've ever seen. Probably something that I would watch every single year once I get a hold of it on Blu-ray. So it's about a, a family that secretly everybody in the family hates each other, because I think that's how most families really are. Everybody puts up a front, but deep down, there's a lot of... Uh, anger. And uh, the whole family works at this pharmaceutical company, like the dad owns it and several of the children work there. And so when they all come home for Christmas, all this resentment and anger and everything comes out. One of the children decides to spike the holiday punch with some experimental truth serum that the company's working on because she thinks it would be really funny for everybody to start telling each other exactly what they feel about them. Unfortunately, because the thing's experimental, it starts out with them telling what they want to tell and then it evolves to them doing what they want to do to each other. And it basically turns into an hour and a half long slaughter fest where everybody's killing each other in really fun and interesting ways. Um, There's a lot of really dark humor and it just keeps escalating throughout the entire thing. There was a lot of stuff I did not see coming it caught me off guard a couple times. The humor went places that I was surprised it went. I knew it was going to be dark, but I didn't know it was going to be quite as dark as it ended up being. And I just, I thoroughly, thoroughly loved it. And I think anybody that gets a chance to check it out should. Very cool. I am a huge fan of holiday horror films. So I'm really excited to see this. And of course, I read your review and checked out some of the stuff that's out there about the film already. So I'm pretty excited. I don't think that he knows when it's coming out yet, but we'll definitely cover that whenever it's coming out for distribution. Yeah, for sure. Something else that we covered just today, actually, is that Amazon may pick up Lord of the Rings as a TV series. They're currently in talk with Warner Brothers and J.R.R. Tolkien's estate to uh, purchase the TV rights for around 200 to 250 million, which is chump change for Amazon, I would have to guess. Yeah, probably. But I mean, that's about what I would imagine it would cost to acquire those kind of rights. How, How do you feel about this? So I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I'm excited. I'm hesitant, but I'm excited. I hope that it takes us on new adventures. I hope that it's not a television series based on the films that we've already seen and the stories that we've already seen. I hope that it introduces us to new characters and some familiar ones um, kind of redone, I guess. I have mixed feelings about it, too. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. It was one of the first fantasy series I ever read when I was a kid. Um, I've been a fan of the books for a long time, and I love the movies. I saw them on all of the midnight showings when they came out. But doing a TV series, I really don't know, because I think to get those new characters and to get the expanded universe and more of the things from other books like the Silmarillion and things like that, we're going to have to take some liberties and change things. And the more they deviate from the book, the closer into like Walking Dead territory you come, where it's so far removed from what you're familiar with. And I hope they don't do that. I hope they don't corrupt what Lord of the Rings is if they decide to make it into a TV series. I completely agree. I have to ask, have you ever watched all of the films back to back? Yeah, I did once. The uh, <laughs> That was a, a stressful and long day, but I did watch them. <laughs> I did too. The extended versions. I, I remember I started them before dinner and I finished when the summons came up, ate breakfast, went to bed <laughs> and it, it was a great night. It's, it's definitely something you should do once. We'll keep an eye on this and cover any future developments. We'll see what happens. So other news that we covered today is that, and I'm sure, Justin, you might have been geeking out over this a little bit. I know you're a Marvel guy, but Red Sonja is coming back to the big screen. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm tentatively excited about this. Like, that's a thing that could go really well, or we could get another John Carter movie. So did you ever see the original film from I, 1985? I did not. No, I've never seen the film, but I did read the comics um, way back when I was a kid. It, like I said, it's one of those things that could do really well or they could do really poorly. You just have to watch and see. 
So it's going to be produced by Millennium Films, and producer A.V. Lerner has said, we've been waiting for the right time for this remake, and with the success of Wonder Woman, the audience has spoken. They want female heroes. I definitely see where they're going with this, and they're picking someone that's a little bit more obscure from mainstream, even though there was a film uh, in 1985 and there's comics. I don't think mainstream is as familiar with Red Sonja. They're not, but I mean, it seems like more and more they want to do more diverse types of films and show more diverse characters. So I get what they're saying about wanting to do more women leads in their films, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why they would go back to a character like Red Sonja. That's so, you know, from a different era, (laughs) I think they're better. I think they'd be much better off doing something like the current Miss Marvel Kamala Khan or something like that, where it, it shows like a Pakistani superhero that, that people aren't really familiar with rather than picking somebody from the past. That's, all but been forgotten. Maybe that's next because it kind of sounds like this is going to be our ne- our next trend, right? Within comic book films that we're going to see female heroes because Wonder Woman was freaking huge. And so with that success, maybe we'll keep seeing this. I mean, I hope so. There's a lot of really amazing female characters in Marvel and in DC, and I'd love to see more of them come to the big screen. Um, I just think it's a little odd that Red Sonja was like one of their first choices. But it I, it could be good. Yeah, I was pretty surprised to see the name pop up, too. I am just a little bit familiar, more familiar with the 1985 film than I am with the actual comics. So it'll be interesting. Time to read up. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so moving on to a segment that we haven't been able to do in the last couple of episodes because we've had more special episodes with guests and things like that is our segment covering something strange and macabre. This week, I'm actually going to tell a story (laughs) about something that I had an experience with. So centuries ago, the Mayans would sacrifice people in the name of their gods. For the rain god, they would pay tribute by painting their victims with a really rich blue pigment that we now call Maya blue. And they would either rip the victim's heart out and throw them into a pool of water, or they would just throw them directly into the pool of water while alive and watch them drown. So what's cool about that is that these pools of water are actually still open to the public today and all except for a few you can still go swimming in. Huh. So when I was a senior in high school, I actually got a trip down to Mexico. We went around the Yucatan area and one of the places that we stopped was this really beautiful pool of water. It was underground. It was kind of in a cave. It had huge vines coming from the top and only one opening let in sunlight. So there are steps that went down, and once you got into the water, it was very, very deep. You couldn't see the bottom. Things would just touch your leg and your arms and up against your body. You couldn't see what was underneath you. It was terrifying, and it was really exciting at the same time. Back then, I had no idea that what I was swimming in is one of these sacrificial pools that the Mayans actually used. And so as I come to find out a few years ago, it's actually filled at the bottom of it. It's actually filled with dead bodies. And the reason that the pool we were swimming in is so rich and so blue is because of the pigment that was on their bodies when they went into the water. They don't know why the color has lasted so long. And I had no idea at the time. You went swimming in gross blue dead people. I did, yeah. (laughs) And now that I know that that was a sacrificial pool and that the hole that I was underneath where the vines came out of is where they would throw people in. It's kind of freaky. And now they're huge tourist destinations and you could go there today and swim in them. Wow. Did you have a bountiful harvest when you were done? I actually got really sick on food poisoning (laughs) because (laughs) I was 18 and uh, didn't know any better at the time. And whenever we had a buffet that the tourist guide provided, I thought it was going to be really smart and only eat the fruit. 
And when you're in Mexico and you're not somewhere, you know, that that's like a resort um, or a restaurant or something like that, you don't want to eat the fruit. <laughs> so, yeah, only cooked things. <laughs> yes, I I did the opposite of that. I avoided the meat and went for the fruit and I got pretty sick. So that was not fun. So if anyone ever wants that kind of experience and say, hey, I swam with centuries old dead bodies, um, go to Yucatan, Mexico, and you can have that experience. Sounds good. I won't be doing that, but but other people can, sure. So would you swim? You wouldn't swim in it? I, no. I don't see any <laughs> reason to. No. It was freezing cold, too. Uh, it was absolutely freezing. But, you know, I was 18 and stupid and didn't care. So I just swam around anyway. So that I thought that was a really fun story. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. And morbid. Okay, so moving on to our main topic, I'm calling this week's show Squad Goals. We're going to talk about a few films that have probably the best ensemble of kid squads that we've seen. And of course, this is spurred kind of by It and Stranger Things and uh, the films that have been coming out lately. It's been a big um, resurgence in, uh, in kid squad movies lately. You know, right now, nostalgia is just huge. We're seeing it in film. We're seeing it in gaming. We're kind of seeing it everywhere. Red Sonja, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just kind of seeing nostalgia come back. And so it feels like we are getting that Goonies fill in a lot of the films right now and shows. Well, let's talk about Goonies then, since you just brought it up. So this is a classic, of course. And these are like the kids that I think we all wanted to be. When we were a kid. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think everybody who watched The Goonies could identify with one of those kids. Who do you identify with? Uh, guess. Who do you think I identified with? <laughs> <laughs> no, because if I answer wrong, I'm going to look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're thinking along those lines, you're probably right. Uh, let's just say I did the trouble shuffle a few times <laughs> in my uh, childhood. You know, there were only a couple of females in the the movie, but I kind of went back and forth on which one I identified with based on the moment. That's fair. Did you have a crush on either one of them? Not really. No, um, I never watched Goonies like early when I was a kid. I didn't probably see it until I was nine or ten. I don't know. Like it was old enough at that point that I didn't really think about any of the characters in that way. Like it was really just. The Truffle Shuffle and Chunk, and I love Sloth. I thought Sloth was the funniest thing ever. I would I would constantly walk around and just mimic him. <laughs> well, you know, the other day we posted a behind-the-scenes look at how they made Sloth. It really surprised me at how many people commented and said that they thought it was real. Wow. I, I never would have thought it was real, but, I mean, it, it is an impressive makeup job. It is, yeah. Someone actually said that uh, their childhood is now ruined. <laughs> I would like to apologize to that person who thought that sloth was real and wanted sloth to be real. Um, but it is really great makeup, especially for 1985. Oh, yeah. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it's almost as good as Toxic Avenger. Almost. I think the film also kind of, you know, made us all want to go on that treasure hunt. It brought about that whimsy and that fantasy. And we just wanted to see what was at the end of, of the map. What was at the X? I think Goonies is the the ultimate of these kind of uh, squad movies. Because when you're talking about any of these other movies that we're going to talk about now, you always refer to Goonies as being like the inspiration for this sort of stuff. And I mean, even when I'm trying to come up with new ideas for stories for comics I'm writing or anything I'm working on, I always refer to Goonies as like the source material I'm drawing from more than these other movies. And even though all of them are great, I feel like Goonies is the original. It did it best. I agree with that. You know, the only film that we have on our list that came before the Goonies was E.T., 
although it wasn't so much of a squad movie like the other films that we're going to discuss, there definitely was the sense of, you know, these kids banding together against these adults who don't know any better and they have to save the day, you know, save the cute little alien. They were kids on bikes. I mean, if there are kids on bikes in a, in a movie, then it counts. I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. (laughs) Bikes and walkie talkies. Bikes and walkie talkies. Exactly. (laughs) And in AT, you know, we did see them all band together and it was a really great kind of moment, especially at the end when, you know, he goes flying off with the help of his friends to deter the government officials. And so that's kind of what you find in a lot of these is that, you know, the kids are the smart ones Mm -hmm. and the resourceful ones and the adults are just kind of clueless. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Most of these movies work because of that principle. It does. And the next film actually is exactly that way, which is the monster squad. Pretty much every adult in the monster squad is an idiot. Here are these kids who know these monsters exist, who are trying to tell the adults over and over and over again. And the adults like, what? I mean, even when Frankenstein's like walking around in their backyard and in their house, they're still just oblivious to it. That is one thing about the monster squad that when I was a kid, I always kind of loved because they're so much smarter. And these kids were just, I mean, also had a huge crush on Rudy. These kids were like mini adults, you know, they're cussing and they are sticking up for themselves and they're taking on monsters and creating bullets <laughs> and like all of this cool shit that we never had a chance to do <laughs> when we were a kid. No, no way. Best we could do is like ride our bike through the woods and hope we didn't get lost. <laughs> I don't think I ever really even did that. <laughs> Oh, I did. There was a huge forest behind my neighborhood when I was growing up, and I would ride my bike back there all the time. And I got lost a few times. Actually, I have a funny story. One time, it rained really bad, and my friends wanted to go riding back there anyway, so we did. And there's this big pool of like watery mud, and I rode my bike into it, and it sunk all the way up to my handlebars. And I was trapped, and my friends just rode off and laughed at me. And I had to like, I, I was like living the quicksand experience that you saw in every movie and TV series, and I was freaking out. And I managed to get out, and I managed to pull my bike out, but I lost my shoes at the bottom of that mud puddle. And uh, I'm pretty sure. You know, they're still there, like <laughs> somewhere in Oklahoma. There's there's shoes, you know, four feet deep in mud. And maybe someday one day somebody will find them. Dude, your squad sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were not good. They just left me. <laughs> they uh, That was not the Goonie experience. No. I should have had a better experience. I should have. So with the Monster Squad, not only is it such a great squad film, but it's also such a great monster film and 80s horror that still holds up today. Yeah, definitely. Some of the some of the stuff like the werewolf transformation we've talked about before being really good. The creature from the Black Lagoon was actually really, really well done. Um, and Dracula was pretty good, too. And even like Frankenstein's, the homages to like the original Frankenstein story were, were pretty great. Um, there's just a lot of stuff to love about Monster Squad. It's a great movie. Okay, so next up is another 80s film, and that is The Lost Boys. It, I mean, we've talked about this before, too, in our Vampires episode. But, I mean, it's it's a squad movie, too. Everybody has to unite to uh, to take on the vampire clan. Um, but it's also kind of like the vampire squad is is its own thing. You kind of see both sides of it. It's, it's an interesting movie to include in this list. Yeah, I love the Frog Brothers. And this is another one that I grew up watching a lot as a kid. And, of course, the mom is completely delusional. Keep it on par here with Adult Suck. She's dating... A vampire mm-hmm. or, you know, that there are even vampires out there or that her kids are getting involved in them. Like she's so oblivious. not even there. <laughs> yeah, she's completely <laughs> oblivious to what's going on. And so, yeah, uh, then, you know, the boys have to come together and show their mom, you know, vampires exist. You're dating one. 
the 80s really hated parents. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, I think that we could probably do an entire episode just on really stupid parents of the 80s. I can think of at least five or six movies that aren't on this list. Yeah. So coming out of the 80s, we're going to jump straight into the 2000s and talk about a film that really isn't mentioned that often. But it was pretty good. And that is Super 8. It's honestly one of my favorite movies. Really? Yeah, I'd, I'd put it in my top 10 of all time. Like, I love Super 8. You want to talk about nostalgia. Super 8 feels like you're watching Goonies, but an updated Goonies. <laughs> yeah, when this film came out, um, because it was produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by J.J. Abrams, it was kind of marketed and kind of thought to be uh, an updated E.T. And I think it captured that pretty well. Oh, yeah, it definitely did. It's a lot of fun. And it's it's a movie that I think got somehow forgotten about by audiences. Like, I never hear anybody talk about it. I never see, uh, like, I talk to friends about it. And they're like, oh, I've never seen that before. It's definitely a movie that people need to check out if they never have. It's it's fun from beginning to end. What do you love about it? Um, I love the walkie-talkies and the kids on the bikes. I love that there's the mystery and they're trying to figure out what the creature is and where it came from. Um, I love how the government reacts to everything and how like it has that E.T. feel where they're fighting against the government. It has the, the Goonies thing where they're trying to rebel against their parents a little bit. It has this big mystery and this big monster and uh, aliens, you know? I mean, <laughs> not, <laughs> not to spoil it, but I mean, there's aliens and there's just a lot to love. Yeah, I actually saw this in theater and I'll admit I have not seen it since theater once we started talking about this and put it on the list i started thinking about it and i'm like that was actually a good movie i have no idea why i haven't seen it since 2011 i have it on blu-ray and i've probably watched it 13 times well i'm gonna revisit it and hopefully some people out there that haven't seen it um will check it out as well because it is a good one so next up is a film that everyone is really familiar with by now and that is stephen king's it the miniseries came out in 1990, and the remake, of course, just came out. Definitely has one of the best squads in horror. I'll agree with that. I've seen the movie three times already in the theater. I love it. So from the original to the remake, I have to ask, do you have the same kind of favorite kid in both films? Probably Eddie in both He's films. In both. I think so. In the original, Richie was actually my favorite. I love Seth Green. That's actually whenever I fell in love with him <laughs> because I was around the same age as him when it came out. And so I fell in love with him back then. So he was definitely my favorite kid. And now it is Eddie. I just adored the shit out of that kid. <laughs> he was he was amazing. He was really good. He had so much more personality, I think, than the original Eddie. That's probably true. And then, you know, Bill is kind of the the steadfast, the tough one. Okay, so which Beverly did you prefer? Uh, the newer one, for sure. She was amazing. She was really good, yeah. Yeah, very spunky. She was kind of more what I expected from reading the books. And of course, neither film even touches on Beverly for the most part because she has such a dark storyline within the book. But I thought that the remake Beverly kind of fit the book Beverly really well. well she just exudes, because- she exudes confidence throughout the entire thing, even though she's going through so much turmoil and so much darkness compared to everybody else even without pennywise and all the stuff uh, i still think she's like very upbeat and very confident and you know she's way more likable than she was portrayed in the miniseries and richie was amazing in the remake as well i mean finn wolfhard is like killing it <laughs> he really is which of course you know is going to segue us now into stranger things which is probably the goonies of today 
I would have to think, right? I mean, everything, every every movie we've talked about, we've referred to as the Goonies of its time. So yeah, uh, the of today, Stranger Things is definitely the Goonies. <laughs> so season two just came out. Um, I think you binge watched it. I binge watched it. <laughs> I mean, anybody who starts watching it just binge watches it. Yeah. There's no other way to do it. It's honestly. it's too good. You can't you can't just watch an episode here and there. I loved that in season two we kind of saw more, uh, even more of the dynamic, um, even more of certain characters like Dustin and Steve. <laughs> I thought it was really great that we got to see more of those characters and more of their home lives. I, I love that they fleshed out all the characters a little bit more. They're a little bit older. The actors are, and they're way more confident in themselves and in their roles. Um, Lucas really shined this season. We didn't see a whole lot of him in season one. I mean, he was involved, but he wasn't as upfront as he was this time. Uh, Mike sort of took a backseat and I wonder if that's because of it, because he was busy filming that as well. But Dustin just shined. I mean, he was the best character in season two by far. The only thing that I can say that season two was lacking that season one really had a lot of was mystery. And I really missed the mystery in season two. I thought that season two was better than the first season just because it it kind of kept the action going a lot more. And like you said, it fleshed out the characters a lot more and things like that. But I I can agree with that completely. See, I I don't think it was better. I think it was a little bit worse, but they're both great. So really? Yeah. Yeah, they are both great. Like if I was going to give season one a nine out of 10, I'd probably give season two an eight out of 10. Fair enough. I was actually reading about Finn Wolfhard that the director of Stranger Things kept having issues with him because of his time on it. He kept using the word fuck (laughs) on Stranger Things. And so they kept having an issue and having to reshoot certain scenes um, because, of course, Mike never says fuck within Stranger Things. So I thought that was kind of funny that he carried the attitude over (laughs) to Stranger Things. That is funny. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with part three. And I think that third season... It's going to have to be something different. I mean, poor Will is not going to be able to go no. back into all this trauma and people trying to pull him out and Winona Ryder is looking crazy. Like, they're going to have to do something different. Yeah, season three is going to be a, a, a big shift. I imagine we're going to jump forward another year or two. And I think we're going to focus more on the other kids that were part of the same program Eleven was part of rather than focusing on the monsters in the upside down. Maybe there's going to be a kid that turns bad and that kid's the one that's trying to reopen the portal or something. I mean, you can speculate a lot about what's going to be in season three, but right now the upside down's closed off and I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Okay. So that wraps up our main topic on squad goals. And again, Justin, sorry that you had a shitty squad as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Moving on to our hypothetical question of the week. Justin, do you have a question? I do have a question. So speaking of 80s movies, we were talking about what we're going to do for our theme this week. We started talking about Back to the Future uh, because I know at some point in in the future, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that movie. But um, it inspired me to want to ask this question. So if you were forced to get inside of a time machine and it was a time machine that could only go forward or could only go backwards, which direction would you choose to go? I say the same age that I am now. Yes. I would go forward. I have no interest in going back. Same here. There's, there's yeah. nothing in the past. I mean, your your family and friends would all disappear and there'd be no chance of you ever going back and seeing them. But I mean, the future's got to be better. And if it's not, you can keep going forward in the future and hopefully at some point it gets better. <laughs> and also, if you decide to go back the same age that you are, you're never going to have the same life that you had. Or you'd have to, I guess, watch yourself. I don't know. Well, you could travel's weird. <laughs> you, you could go back and 
try to change things for your younger self um, so that you would never actually end up getting in the time machine at a later date. But then you open up all kinds of paradoxes and, you know, the butterfly effect and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. Very true. Plus, that sounds really stressful. That sounds way more stressful trying to get your younger self to not be stupid or get in certain situations or avoid certain people or meet certain people than just going forward and seeing what the future's like. <laughs> sounds a lot more fun. Yeah, I agree. So how far in the, f- in the future would you go if it had to be in 10 year shifts? Oh, um, I would go forward, you know, 50 years and see where we're at. So what would you do if you just got there and everything was pretty much obliviated? <laughs> uh, jump forward another 50 years. <laughs> and I would just keep going forward a little bit at a time until I, uh, I found civilization again. <laughs> until it restarted. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you wouldn't try to be the hero and, and restart it yourself. <laughs> I mean, I think it would depend. Like, am I fully stocked when I go forward? Cause if I have like an armory with me, you know, then it might just be like fallout and I can just wander the wasteland <laughs> doing whatever I want to do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you'd have to at least check it out a little bit before you just jump back in and kept going. But that's a scary thought to think about if you just jump forward and there was just nothing. Yeah. Hopefully that's not reality, right? Hopefully not. We'll see. So next we have HDL recommends where we recommend something really awesome for our listeners to hopefully check out. So this week I am going to recommend pixel elixir. Pixel elixir is this really cool online site. They're actually based here in Texas down in San Antonio and they make these amazing enamel pins. Along with the enamel pins, they also make stickers, t-shirts, and art prints. Their designs are really amazing. They do Friday 13th, Killer Santa, a Grim Reaper, Pumpkin Head. I have friends who have ordered pins and stickers and art prints from them, and they've all turned out amazing. So I can verify through my friends that it has really great quality. I've actually been looking at a few things that I'm going to purchase for Christmas presents, and so it made me think of them. Very cool. Yes, and it's a local business for me, so (laughs) win-win. Shop local. Uh, Well, for me, I've been pretty busy, uh, but I have had time to watch a few TV shows. And one of the more recent ones that I've checked out is The Gifted on Fox. Anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge comic book fan and I'm a Marvel guy. I grew up reading Marvel and X-Men is my favorite franchise. And The Gifted is basically set inside of the X-Men universe and it's new mutants. It's uh, mutants that are just coming into their power and they're fighting this resistance against uh, Sentinels and um, the government who want to oppress them and basically detain them all in Genosha and that sort of thing. So um, it's really fun. It's the whole new cast. I mean, the only mutant that's really a big name mutant that we've seen so far is Polaris, who if you know uh, anything about comics, you know that's Magneto's daughter. She's one of the leads in the uh, story. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, as a comic book fan, I am really loving this series a lot more than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Inhumans or anything else Marvel's done TV-wise. So uh, if you get a chance, check out The Gifted. It's been kind of under the radar. I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, um, but there's six episodes in, and it's it's great so far. So thumbs up. Very cool. I actually have not seen it. Which isn't a huge shock because I never watch television, (laughs) Um, except for a few things on Netflix. But I definitely want to check it out from what I've heard. You should. I think you'd really like it. 
Okay, well, that wraps up our 10th episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And of course, we'll be back next week bringing you more horror, geek, and gaming. For more information on our podcast, you can check out horrorgeeklife.com and click on the podcast link. Uh, We're now available on iTunes, Google, and most other podcatchers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Horror Geek Life. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Horror Geek Mill. And uh, if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on all social media as at ComicalJC. If you'd like to check out my comic, comic book speak no evil issue three is going to be coming out later this month um, issue one and two are available on our website graybearcomics.com that's g-r-a-y or you can find them on comiXology uh, we're really excited about issue three i think people are going to love it so uh, keep an eye out and check out the first two issues you haven't yet awesome and we'll be back next week thanks guys <laughs>